Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. So we have been on a little three-part series, uh, starting with what we call Holy Week. Last Sunday, Jesus came riding into town, kind of like the summons. Uh, There were witnesses that talked all about this man who's not just a man, but God in flesh. In fact, there's 40 different witnesses that talk about him. We call them the authors of Scripture. We call them the Bible writers, the prophets and the apostles that wrote all about Jesus. 40 of them talking about this man who had come that would be more than just a man, but he'd be God in flesh. The one that was prophesied all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, when God the Father said, To Satan himself, this man that's going to come, this person that's going to come, you might bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Well, we started our investigation with Jesus riding into Jerusalem last week, and he fulfilled some extremely specific prophecies. Prophecies that were made anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years before he actually came. Tonight, you're going to be taking a look or listening to the words of a man who's been accused of a great crime. The crime that he was accused of was blasphemy. So what's blasphemy? It's when somebody claims to be God, but they're not. Well, what we are going to attempt to prove, not only tonight, but especially on Sunday, is that the very things that Jesus said about himself, the very claims that he made about being God in flesh, were absolutely true. He was something more than just a man. Something so much more than just a man. So if you've got your Bibles and you take out your copy of your Bible that you've got and you'd go with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 43. Luke chapter 23, and we're beginning in verse 26 tonight. While you're turning there, let me just share with you that throughout the last couple decades in particular, there's been a lot of cries of injustice whether it be of supposed excessive force by law enforcement or if you ever watch court TV, every criminal is always innocent, right? According to them. They never did it. However, there is one man in human history who committed absolutely no crime, committed absolutely no sin, and yet he was run through a series of mock trials. He was run through uh, a series of court cases that would have been completely illegal in that day. He was then brutally tortured, he was then crucified, and then he was then put in a tomb. But prior to being put in that tomb, what did the accused say, even from the cross? I got to tell you that if that was me hanging on the cross, that would have been the time to hurl insults and fling mud. And yet you're going to see that Jesus did anything but. In fact, if you listen to the words of Jesus, these have to be the words of someone that is so much more than just a man but someone that loved his own creation. In fact, he loved his own creation so much that the wood that he made, he was being crucified on. The elements that he made that could make metal and make spikes out of that metal were the ones that were being driven through his wrists and through his feet. The very trees that he made were the, were the trees that were used to provide the cross with which he was crucified on. But listen to what he says from that cross. It's in Luke 23. Verses 26 through 43. It's a little bit of a long passage, so stick with me. But it says, As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. 
And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to, put, to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Outside of what we read here, there's a few other things that Jesus said from the cross that we'll take a look at tonight. There's seven in total. What I want you to hear and what I want you to see are not only what Jesus said, but the promises that are attached to what the accused said. What this God-man, this man who's God in flesh actually came and said and what he is offering to us even from the cross. And again, think about this. This is coming from the cross. This is not when he's sitting in a palace being pampered. This is when he is in his, his time of most dire need. And yet these are the very things that he has to say to us. Listen to the first one. It's from Luke chapter 23 and in verse 34. The first thing that Jesus says while being nailed to the cross is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's the question. Forgive who? Was it the executioners who were nailing him to the cross? Was it the religious leaders who were responsible for him being nailed on the cross? Was it the disciples who did nothing to come to his aid? Instead, they cowered in a room? Or was it for you and I? Because of our sin that he went to the cross. What's the answer? Yes, to all of the above. And the first promise that we see attached to that is that there is forgiveness for any who trust Christ. If you're sitting in here and you're thinking, I've gone too far, God could never love me, God could never use me, I want you to just take a look at the cross. In fact, we're going to take a look at one of the people that was next to Jesus on the cross in just a moment. But let me just again remind you that there is forgiveness for any that trust in Christ. There's a guy who I have liked to study for a long time. He's been dead for quite a while, but his name is Dr. F.B. Meyer. And Dr. F.B. Meyer, one of the great preachers of the early 20th century, he said this, In uttering this first cry from the cross, our Lord entered that work of intercession which he ever lives to continue on our behalf. He thinks not of himself, but of others. He's occupied not with his own pain, but with our sin. He makes no threat, but instead offers a tender prayer of pleading intercession. Again, think about that. If I'm the one being nailed to the cross, I want somebody going down for it. And yet Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Going in chronological order from what Jesus said first to last, the second thing he said was, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember, there's two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. One's mocking him and one's railing at him. 
The other one says, don't you understand who this man is? And don't you understand who we are? We're getting what we deserve. He doesn't deserve to be here. Then he looks at Jesus and he says, if you would just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, I'll do you one better. You're going to be with me in paradise. Can you imagine what that guy must have been thinking? Wait, you're telling me that when I breathe my last, I'm going to be in heaven with you? You don't understand. I don't deserve it. Which is exactly why Jesus told that guy he'd be in heaven with him. If we think we deserve heaven, then we have missed why Jesus came and why he died on the cross. If you have ever been told that all you got to do is just be religious enough and make your good outweigh your bad, you have completely missed why Jesus came. Because again, i got to remind us, God can't let a single sin into his heaven. Therefore, Jesus had to come and pay the penalty for every single one of our sins. That second promise that we see is that there's salvation for you if you trust Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, and it says he was numbered with the transgressors. And that teaches us a couple of things about God. One, first of all, he is in complete control of human history. Anybody glad about that? If you look around and you look at what's happening in the world today, aren't you glad that God's completely in control? I will tell you that raising two teenage girls, I'm really glad that God is in control because it is a scary world out there. And it's scary to let them go, but we're going to have to let both of them go really soon. But outside of God being in complete control of all of history and all of the universe, we also read that he cares about every individual in the course of human history. That tells us something. Gang, go love on people that are quite unlovely. I don't know about you, but before I came to know Christ, I was quite unlovely. After I came to Christ, I've been quite unlovely. I'm just glad that Jesus loves me anyways. What a blessing it is to know that nobody is beyond the hope of redemption. Do we all know what redemption means? That's a big churchy word. But if I was to unpack what the word redemption means, it literally means to buy back. Nobody can be so far gone that Jesus can't buy them back. That Jesus can't pay the penalty for their sin. Remember what that that other thief cried out. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That wasn't a plea that fell on deaf ears. Jesus heard it and he told him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That word paradise is a fascinating word. The word that Jesus used was actually a word that had its deep roots in the Persian language. And it literally meant a walled garden. So when a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects a very special honor, he'd invite him into that companion of what, what we'd call the companion of the garden. And he was chosen to walk in the royal garden with the king before getting to go into the palace. So Jesus is telling this man, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to get to enter into that walled garden and then you're going to get to come into the kingdom and you're going to be with me forever. Listen, salvation is simple. Satan loves to cloud it. But Romans chapter 10 verse 13 tells us, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of Yeshua Mashiach, everyone who calls on Jesus the Messiah will be saved. It's not a you might be. It's not a if you call on the name of Jesus, then you do A, B, and C, then I might let you into heaven. He says, no, if you call on me because I have finished all the work that there is to be done, you'll be with me in paradise. We'll hit more on that in just a moment. Stick with me. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27 give us the third saying of Jesus from the cross. Jesus says to his mother, his physical mama Mary, says, woman, 
Behold your son, speaking of John, and to the disciple, behold your mother. Why include that statement? Why is that the third statement of Jesus from the cross? Well, it's really attached to that third promise that you and I get. There's great love for you in the family of God. Jesus was even thinking about others while he's hanging from the cross, and he's telling them in so many words. He's already told them how hard it's going to be. Hey, gang, it's going to be rough. Walking with me is going to be rough. You have got a culture that's going to come against you. You've got a society that's going to come against you. You might have family turn on you. In Jesus' day, they could have killed people for showing up and saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, I'm worshiping Jesus as God. You're what? They could have had him stoned to death at any given moment in time. Jesus says, I want you to know you're not in this alone. The enemy would love to get you to believe that you're on your own in this. There's nobody else that loves Jesus. Hang your head low. You're the only one in all of Albuquerque that loves the Lord. You might remember this from 1 Kings. It's called the Elijah Syndrome. Elijah's looking around at the prophets of Baal, and they're all worshiping these false gods, and Elijah's ready to literally take his own life. He doesn't want to live anymore, and he's going, Lord, there's nobody. I'm done. Just ax me now. And what does God say? In a lot kinder terms than I would say, Elijah, quit your whining. There's 7,000 others that love me as well. There's probably quite a few more than 7,000 in Albuquerque that love the Lord. And what a great family we have at New Covenant. Are we always going to get along? Oh, are you kidding? I annoy most of you, but thank you for loving me anyways. So no, we're not always going to get along. However, God gave us this family for a reason. And if you think about it in those terms, it should be hard for us to leave a church. And yet, it seems like it's really hard to get people to visit a church, but it's not hard to get them to leave. It shouldn't be that way. Jesus says, look, I love you. I'm putting people in your life that are going to help you grow. I find it quite interesting in the book of Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. Guess what? When we sharpen each other, sometimes sparks are going to fly. That's okay. Well, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, we get the fourth statement from Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus say that? Well, for one, again, he's fulfilling prophecy. But at that moment in time, that is when the sin of the entire world was being poured out upon Jesus. The wrath of the Father was being poured out upon Jesus. As 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, he was the propitiation, which means the appeasement for wrath, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 21 says, for our sake, now listen to that, for our sake, for you and I, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This word from the cross points clearly to the fact that there is atonement for you and me at the cross. There is atonement for you and me at the cross. Again, there's another big churchy word. What does the word atonement mean? It literally means a covering. In the Old Testament, the priests would shed the blood of an animal and they would take it and they would pour it upon the altar. And upon the altar, it was symbolized that all the sins of the nation of Israel and followers of Yahweh were there. And the blood would cover that so that the father wouldn't see the sin anymore. He would see the blood that's atoning for it. Well, Jesus comes along and not only does he atone for our sin or cover it, but what else does he do? Well, remember what John said when Jesus shows up out in the wilderness where John is baptizing. Behold the Lamb of God who 
takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't just cover it. He took it away. If you've ever wondered, could God ever forgive me if you have trusted what Jesus did on the cross? Absolutely. He has canceled the record of debt. Well, in John chapter 19, verse 28, we get Jesus' fifth statement from the cross. He says, I thirst. Again, another one of those things, why'd you throw that in there? Of seven statements and all the statements you could have made, why I thirst? Well, for one, know that Jesus sacrificed. It hurt. It was painful what he went through. But it wasn't just the physical pain that he went through. It was the pain that he had to experience for in that brief moment in time, in the only moment in time in all of eternity, where the father had to turn his son, turn his back on his son when his son became sin. And then Jesus says, I thirst. He's fulfilling something that was prophesied a thousand years before he came. Psalm chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, written a full millennium before Jesus came says this, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. About 40 chapters later in Psalm chapter 69, verse 21, it says, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. Again, my goodness, the detail of prophecy. If you're going to make stuff up, and then try to fulfill it prophetically. You don't want to be too terribly specific. Jesus could not have orchestrated them offering up wine and vinegar to him up on the cross. It wouldn't have been possible for him to orchestrate that. Well, there's a fifth promise that's attached to this, and that is that Jesus suffered for your salvation. Jesus actually suffered. So in one sense, is our salvation free for you and I? Absolutely. There's not a thing that we could do for it, not a thing that we could pay. On the flip side, it costs the God of the universe everything. He left his throne room in heaven, took upon a body which he will now have for all of eternity for you and I to see. He will for all of eternity have those nail scars in his wrists and in his feet for us to see forever and ever as a reminder of just how good he has been to us and just how much he loves us. Now, don't get all off track because Jesus has a body forever. Does that mean that he's not God anymore? Does that mean he doesn't know all things? Does it mean he can't, can't be? No, he's still God completely. In fact, by the way, even when he was being conceived in the womb, when he was born as a baby, nursing at Mary's breast, he was still sustaining and holding the entire universe in the palm of his hands. He never gave that up. Try wrapping your mind around that. Try wrapping your mind around the fact that that little baby that you're holding all swaddled up is actually sustaining the entire universe. He's the reason that you're still breathing. He's the reason that you're still able to eat and digest food. Can you imagine that? How crazy is that? The one that I'm going to feed is the one that's making it possible for me to even eat. That's crazy. John chapter 19, verse 30, we get Jesus' sixth statement. It's actually one word, but we have it as three in the English language. It is finished. In the Greek, it's the word tetelestai. This word tells us that there's literally nothing left for you and me to do. There's not a thing that I can do to earn God's love or to earn God's favor. He had to do all of it for me. This Greek word for finished was actually used in business life during the time of Jesus. It was to indicate that a debt had been paid in full. So it might have a receipt 
that tells how much you owe that person. And they would take a stamp and stamp it in red ink. And it would say, die on it. It's finished. It's all done. There's nothing left for you to pay. All your debt has been forgiven. What a great word and a great reminder for us today. There's another promise that's attached to that as well, and that is that Jesus is the victor over all of sin. I think it's good for us to have this reminder. You've heard it probably half a dozen times, but it's good for us to have this reminder. Jesus is still sitting on the throne. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the governor is. It doesn't matter who the mayor is. It doesn't matter what direction our schools have gone. It doesn't matter what direction Albuquerque has gone, New Mexico has gone, the United States has gone, NATO has gone, the world has gone. Jesus is still the one on the throne. He's the king. He's the king over our president. He's the king over the governor and the mayor and NATO and everything else that exists on the planet. He's king over all of it. And think about this for a second. Albuquerque's like a little speck on the map. The earth is a little speck in the universe. Like you wouldn't even see it if you were to blow it up and look at the universe. And yet it says that our God's hand spans the entire universe. Now God doesn't have a body of flesh and bones. That's just a way for us to get a little bit of a picture of just how big God is. If God had a hand and it spanned the entire universe, which by the way, we haven't even come close to plumbing the depths of the universe, but if we could, do you know how big we would realize this universe really is? And yet it says his hand spans the entire universe. How big is our God? Listen, I ask that question because I'm going to mention this again later. Your theology will always dictate your behavior. Let me say that again. Your theology will always dictate your behavior. What is theology? It's the knowledge of God. So based off your grasp of God and who he is, that will dictate how you live your life. If your God really is the God of the Bible, who spoke the universe into existence, did you know that you and I can walk out of here fearing absolutely nothing? In fact, Jesus said, why would you fear man who can kill the body? You should fear him who could kill the soul and send it into hell. That's who we should be fearing. So if my fear is in the right place, I'm not going to be an arrogant jerk, but I'm going to walk out of here with my head held high, knowing who's in control, regardless of what's going on in the world around me. Which leads me to the last thing that Jesus said. It's in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. It says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These words tell us that Jesus' life didn't just ebb away. He decided when he was going to give it up. Do you all remember when Jesus said when he was still alive, no one takes my life from me? But what? It's only when I choose to give it up that I will actually die. And then Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I'm ready. I'm coming. I don't like what's happened, but I'm coming. I'm going to be with you. Have you ever had those days where you just said, I just don't like what's happening in my life right now, but man, am I thankful that, and here's the seventh promise that's coming, man, am I thankful that I have eternal security in Jesus because of what he did on the cross? Have you ever had those days? Man, life stinks, but man, am I thankful that no matter what, no matter what happens to me this side of heaven, my salvation is eternally secure in Jesus. Nobody can take it away. It doesn't matter what you do to me. Father, forgive them. Remember, there's forgiveness for us at the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
There's salvation for those that have trusted in Jesus. Woman, here is your son. There's love for you at the cross. If you've ever wondered how much you're loved, just look back at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's atonement for you at the cross. Every single one of your sins are not only covered, but removed as far as east is from the west. I thirst. How loved are you? Well, so much that Jesus was willing to suffer immense agony for you and I. It is finished. Jesus is the victor over sin and death. There's nothing left for you and I to do. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's eternal security for you and me at the cross. So let me ask you, after investigating these statements of Jesus from the cross, what's the verdict? Well, we're going to give the verdict on Sunday. I'm hoping that if you're sitting in this room tonight, you have trusted Jesus for forgiveness. You've trusted him for salvation. You've trusted that he's the only one that's going to unconditionally love you and love you perfectly. That you can know without a doubt that regardless of where you've been, who you are, what you've done, or what you're going to do in the future, that you're eternally secure in Jesus. If you haven't trusted him, Good Friday is a fantastic day to trust Jesus. Good Friday is a great day to have a birthday. Good Friday is a great day for us to rejoice along with you, just as all the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner who comes to know Jesus. It's a great day to trust Jesus, isn't it? I'm going to ask of you, would you just bow your heads with me in prayer for a little while? I'm going to ask us just to sit silently for a moment, and I want you to picture Jesus on the cross. I want you to picture after he has been beaten and whipped with a cat of nine tails, hanging from the cross. And as you're there at this investigation, you're hearing him say, Father, forgive them. You're hearing him say to that thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. You're hearing him speak to Mary, saying, woman, here is your son. You're hearing him cry out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're hearing him and seeing him cry out in agony that he thirsts. Then you hear two great things come from his lips. It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Upon hearing those things, are you ready to be forgiven? Are you ready to know that if today was your last, you could be with him in paradise? Are you ready to trust the one who has completed the transaction and paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future? Are you ready to have that eternal security that can only be found in Jesus, it can't be found in anybody else? Nobody else has ever fulfilled the specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Nobody has ever lived the life, has been born the birth, has died the death, or raised again from the dead like our Jesus. We will continue to investigate that on Sunday, but tonight, if tonight is that night that you say, I want to trust Jesus, great night to do it. There is no such thing as a sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's no such thing as a repeat after me in the Bible, but just as a way of helping you solidify your faith commitment to Christ. If you'd like to, just in the quietness of your own mind, if you'd like to pray this between you and the Lord, feel free to do so. Lord Jesus, I am thankful that in you there is forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I am thankful that in that forgiveness that you offer, all of my sin can be paid for past, present, and future. 
And Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that because of the fact that you not only died on the cross, but you rose again from the dead, I can commit my spirit into your hands, knowing that eternal security is found in you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sin right now. Lord, I ask you, just as that thief did, to be my Lord and Savior, and Lord, to accept me into your kingdom. And Lord, I am so thankful that you do, simply because of who you are and not because of anything that I have done. Jesus, I ask you now to be my Lord and Savior. Gang, if you would just sit there with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a little bit, we would love to be able to, to know who it is that trusted Christ so that we could rejoice with you and celebrate. Uh, I'd like to be able to pray for you. So if you did trust Christ tonight, just between you and the Lord and, and myself, would you just stick a hand up high so I could be praying for you? Awesome. Thank you, gang. You can put your hands down. Lord Jesus, I lift up my brothers and my sisters who trusted you tonight. Lord, we rejoice as all of heaven rejoices over one who comes to know you for the very first time. Lord, I ask that you would surround them with those that are going to help them to grow. I also ask that as the enemy comes and tries to pluck away that seed that's been planted, that Lord, you would not allow him to. Lord, we thank you so much for this night that you have given to us. We thank you for the great privilege that it is to continue to worship you. We ask that you would help us to reflect tonight on how good you have been to us and then help us to rejoice greatly when Sunday comes, knowing that you rose again from the dead. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you for who you are. It's in your mighty name that we pray together. Amen. Gang, before we send you out, I do just want to continue to invite you. Uh, Sunday morning, we are going to have a 9 a.m. service we're going to have a 10.30 a.m. service. Our best guess is that 10.30 is going to be absolutely packed. So if you can drag yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning um, and come at 9 a.m., uh, that will help us to have enough seats at the 10.30 a.m. service. Um, but either way, whichever service you come to, we are excited to rejoice in the resurrection. Tonight, we reflect on what Christ did for us on the cross. On Sunday morning, we rejoice in the fact that the cross was not his end but it was the end of evil. It was the end of uh, sin. It was Satan's undoing. And he now knows that his time is short. So if you wonder why things are getting as bad as they are and why they look as dark as they are, it's because in all honesty, the enemy knows that his time is short. That's a good thing for us. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in the Lord, we say bring it on because we serve the God of the universe. Amen? Gang, we will see you on Resurrection Sunday. So have a good weekend and we'll see you Sunday morning. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.